Wow. Amen. What a great job. Fantastic choir. Thank you for sharing with us today. Uh, you know, sometimes these little obstacles happen uh, in our life. Uh, hey, Darren, would you turn that TV around there uh, for folks to see? Thank you, if it's doable. I know y'all can all read that well. Uh, I appreciate so much the choir. Man, wasn't that fantastic? Yeah. These guys put in so much behind-the-scenes time uh, to prepare to lead us into worship each week, and I'm so grateful for them. Uh, and uh, uh, they do a, do a fantastic job, and I really appreciate Nuno and Bill and all their hard work uh, with those guys. Uh, if you have your Bibles today, you might need them to see. I have these two... TV's turned around the best we can where you can see and follow along. Uh, I can see fine. My, my screen's working well. Uh, but uh, I think we had a, blow, a bulb blow. Uh, and so uh, uh, we'll, we'll just make do as uh, we'll go old school today. So, uh, man, what a, what a privilege it is to stand before you today and proclaim the Word of God. Uh, I had the, I've had the privilege of pastoring some wonderful people, and y'all are some of them. Uh, I'll let you go there, but uh, that, you, you know, I, in every church, I could list people who, who have faithfully modeled what it means to walk with Jesus. Every church. Uh, I, I've been now in about six churches, from the one I was raised in to the ones that I've served. And in every one of those churches, I could list off names of people who I, I, who, who I knew. Those folks walked with Jesus, and they walked like Jesus. And, and man, I, I love them. From Papa Earl Wilkerson, a deacon in my first church who taught me what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus, to Kathleen Turner, uh, who... Who, who faithfully served Jesus, an elderly lady in our church who faithfully loved the Lord, uh, to Curtly Stevens, who just in kindness showed people the love of Jesus, to uh, Debbie Bratcher, who when diagnosed with glioblastoma multiform, which was a death sentence, sang Jesus' praises and glorified his name until she died. I could name person after person who, who walked with Jesus and, and who, who were so faithful to him and they loved God even to the point of death. But I've also known people who've checked out, um, who started strong and, and, and surprised me. My best friend growing up and the best man in my wedding. Uh, he loved Jesus and he loved people and seemed so kind. Married one of my best friends. And after a few years of marriage, he checked out. He checked out on his family. He checked out on church. And as far as I know, he's checked out on Jesus. And it breaks my heart. It, it, it breaks my heart when I see people who start so strong and who seem to love so faithfully, who seem to just... Fade away. Dr. Jim Conway, in his book, Man in Midlife Crisis, stated that when people near 40, they have a tendency to quit on some of their earlier ideals of life. People bail out on marriage after 15 to 20 years 
family doesn't seem as important as it once was. People in middle years sometimes become very disillusioned with their jobs. Occupations that once seemed so interesting now lose their challenge. Those in middle years sometimes back off of involvement in church and their lifestyle becomes increasingly self-centered and hedonistic. People in their middle years are often plagued with disturbing questions, he says. Why am I here? What does it matter? And what can I believe anymore? While writing this work, Dr. Conway grew incredibly depressed as he studied these, these cases of, of checking out. And he decided in his own spirit that he too was going to take off. He was going to resign his pastorate. He was going to tell his publisher that he wouldn't finish his work. He was, he was going to hand over everything he had to his wife, get in a car and drive south and just tune everything out. He said, I'd had it with people. I'd had it with responsibility. I, I'd had it with society and even with God who had been such a friend to me. He seemed so remote and so distant. Praise the Lord, Dr. Conway came back, and not everyone gets to that uh, extreme of, of depression and, and, and goes that far, but, but there are a lot of people who don't come through those things very well. There are some people who make horrible mistakes. And they hurt their families and they negate their testimony. And there's early, there's others who just peek out early and, and they begin to coast through the rest of their life. Romans 2 verse 10 says that we should be faithful unto death. And He will give us the, the crown of life. Be faithful to the Lord. You know, I believe it was Adrian Rogers who once said that faithfulness is the birthmark of the believer and it does not wear off. When we make a commitment to Christ, it's a commitment to follow Him until we die. It's not signing up for a three-week trial. It's not saying, I'm going to believe unless it gets hard. It's not saying, I'm going to hang in there until it gets boring. You have made a commitment for life when you sign up as Jesus' follower. That's why I tell our baptismal candidates, even if they're children, you understand what you're doing today is a commitment that you are to keep through the rest of your life, that you are identifying with Christ and He will be your Lord as long as you live. It's the will of God that we maintain our enthusiasm for living and our zeal for serving Jesus right up to the very end so we can hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And again, we can learn from Joseph. Uh, maybe the most impressive quality about Joseph was that he was faithful to God at every stage of his life. He maintained this dynamic trust and this positive attitude up until the day that he died. And as we conclude the story of Joseph, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what happens to Joseph between the ages of 38 and 110 when he died. So we're going to be here a couple hours. But anyhow, or maybe not. But uh, there's ample evidence in this passage that, that Joseph was, was faithful even until death. One of the things that I see is that he, he, he was faithful by bringing his family from Canaan to Egypt, even though they weren't easy to live with. Uh, the next few chapters in Genesis, we see Joseph caring for an aging father, uh, chapter uh, 46, uh, beginning in verse 28. Now Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph uh, to prepare for his arrival at Goshen. 
And when they came to the land of Goshen, Joseph hitched the horses to his chariot. He went to Goshen to meet his father Israel, Jacob. And and Joseph presented himself to him, threw his arms around him and wept for a long time. And then Jacob says to Joseph, Israel says to Joseph, now at last I can die, now that I've seen your face and I know that you're still alive. It's been 20 years since Joseph and his father have seen each other. And you can imagine this tender scene, this this middle-aged man embracing his elderly father. They haven't seen each other in a long time. And he throws his arms around him and he weeps. And it's almost like this fairy tale scene. Uh, and you expect it to read like Jacob and his family moved to Egypt. They survived the famine and they lived together happily ever after. You know, that's how you expect it to read, but it's not that easy. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. There was a real cultural difference between Joseph and his family. You know, that for 10 years, Joseph has been the administrator over all of Egypt. Now he's wealthy. He lived a life of luxury. He was incredibly well-respected. He had an Egyptian wife. And now he has kids who are well-respected. And now his family moves next door. And they're poor people. And this is his roots. They had just barely survived the, the, the famine. I can imagine, in my mind, here's what I see when Jacob and his brothers all move in. I see the Beverly Hillbillies. Right? Moving in to, to this community that, that does not fit their lifestyle. And they were honestly a despised race. Uh, Genesis 30, uh, 43, 32. Over here says they they served him uh, by himself his 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 brothers uh, by themselves and the Egyptians who were eating with them by themselves and and so when they served them the Egyptians wouldn't eat with them why because the Egyptians couldn't eat with Hebrews since it's abhorrent to them not only were they despised race they were a despised occupation it says your servants, both we and our fathers, Genesis forty six thirty four, says, have raised livestock from our youth until now. Then you'll be allowed to settle in the land of Goshen, since all shepherds are abhorrent to the to the Egyptians. You know, so how could Joseph introduce his shepherding family, his his elderly father, this unsophisticated tribe to Pharaoh? And and to be honest. You got to read between the lines here, but Jacob wasn't easy to live with. He was kind of a whiny old man. (laughs) Uh, One of those who's always trying to manipulate people with his age. Do you know people like that in your family? Well, this might be the last Christmas we ever get to spend with each other. You know, I might not live long, so you better come see me. You know, several verses about Jacob prove he did this all the time. In Genesis 37, verse 35, all of his sons and daughters tried to comfort him when, when uh, Joseph is, is, is gone. And he says, no, I'm going to go down to Sheol to my son. I'm going to die. And his father kept on weeping for him. And you might think, well, I understand that, but he does this over and over. In chapter 42, verse 38, Jacob answered, My son will not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he's left alone. If anything happens to him, I'll probably die. Verse uh, 28 of chapter 45. Israel said, Enough, 
my, my, Joseph, my son Joseph's still alive. Y'all quit talking. We need to go see him before I die. We see him in chapter 46. He's not going to die for another 17 years, but he's obsessed. He's talking about it all the time. Chapter 46, verse 30. Israel sees Joseph and says, I can die now. I've seen him. Uh, and then in, in uh, chapter 48, verse 21, he says, I'm about to die. And this time he means it. And he is about to die. I, I don't think by this time anybody believed it. For 37 years, Joseph or Jacob's been talking about dying. By the way, don't do that. Uh, and this is a temptation for us as we get older and feel forgotten. Don't, don't do that. Don't talk yourself into the grave. Don't be old before your time. Don't camp out at Kerr Brothers just waiting for them. You know, I mean, I promise you the coroner will come and get you when it's your time. You know? A little boy wrote to his uncle and said, Dear uncle, I hope you live all your life. (laughs) While you're alive, live. Make the most of every opportunity. And, And I don't think it was easy for Joseph to have his family to come live with him, but we see how Joseph handled it in verse 28 of chapter 46. Jacob... Uh, had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to prepare for his arrival at, 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 at Goshen. And when they came to the land, do you remember what the Bible says? It, it says that he runs out and he gets the chariot and he embraces them. He didn't say, hey, I'm, I'm busy. He didn't say, I'm too important. He didn't say, I don't have time for you. He, he didn't say, hey, have dad come to me. He went to meet his father and expressed his love for him. He wasn't ashamed to show his father that he loved him. He threw his arms around him. And if your mother and your father are still living, do, do, take time to honor them and love them. But, you know, when's the last time you called? When's the last time you went home? When, when, when is the last time that you sent them a note or just told them that you loved them? Joseph loved his father and he introduced him to Pharaoh. And, and you might anticipate him anticipate him keeping them in seclusion, you know, because they're not going to enhance his image. You know, uh, yet he arranged for them to meet the king. Don't be ashamed of your family. Joseph gave his father and his brothers the best of his provision. When his father got ill, Joseph cared for him. When he he died, he declared a 70-day mourning period throughout the entire land of Egypt. The Bible says that we're talking honor our father and mother and that begins the day you're born and it doesn't stop until the day you die we're to give honor to them and he continues to work hard even though he's already had success frequently when people reach a point of success or they get older they begin to fade away and they rationalize and they say look you know it's time for me to relax it's time for me to enjoy the fruit of my labor and, and, and there's no doubt as you get older, you need to learn to rest. You need to learn to delegate. You need to learn to take vacations. But be careful, especially those of you who ch- achieve success, because I see some people check out. I was at my last church, and God was doing a, a work in military families. And we were having several military families attend our church we had added like 14 soldiers and their wives over the period of about one year. And we were having more people to disciple than we had disciplers. 
And I didn't know what I was going to do because I knew these men needed people to pour into their life. And God brought a man to our church. He had been a pastor for years. His wife had left him when he was in the pastorate. And so he had stepped out of the pastorate and he had started a business. The business was incredibly successful. He had remarried. They were reestablishing roots in churches. His, his wife was serving. And I thought, man, what an opportunity. I could plug this guy in with one of these young soldiers or a couple of these young soldiers and he could really make a difference in their life. And I went to him one day. I set up a lunch meeting with him. And I said, hey, man, I've got this opportunity for you. Would you be willing to disciple some soldiers? And he looked at me in the eye and said, Nick, I ought to do that. But I've reached an age where I don't make decisions based on what I ought to do. I make decisions based on what I want to do. I don't know if I've had a more sinful conversation with a person in all of my years of ministry. But I have that conversation with people all the time. They just never say those words. There's ministry to be done, but I'm going to check out and be selfish with my time. There's people to invest in, but I'm going to think about me instead of thinking about others. There, there's, there's work that needs to be done, but man, I've earned my rest. Be careful. We are called to be faithful until Jesus comes. The old hymn says it well. We will work until Jesus comes. And then we'll be carried home. There's a lot of people who say we will work until we earn enough money to not have to work anymore. Put your hand to the plow and be faithful until the Lord takes you home. God's not finished with you when you get to be 50 or 60 or 70. Joseph kept stretching himself, even though he had achieved success. He had become the number two man in Egypt. And, and let's be honest, there was no possibility of him becoming number one. He wasn't an Egyptian. He wasn't from the royal family. He wasn't going to be Pharaoh. And for seven years, he had accumulated excess grain during the times of abundance. And you think he might have said, you know, I've accumulated. Let somebody else deal with the distribution plan. But when the famine starts, he was a hands-on administrator watching over what God had called him to do. Joseph devised this brilliant distribution program, by the way, uh, over here. But there was no food in that entire region, for the famine was very severe. In the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, they were exhausted by, by, by famine. Verse 14. So Joseph collected all the money to be found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they were purchasing. And he brought the money to Pharaoh's palace. Verse 15, when the money from the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan was gone, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die here in front of you? The money is gone. Uh, Joseph was making his employer powerful and rich, but Joseph refused to give people, the people of Egypt something for nothing. Notice what it says in verse 16. But Joseph said, give me your livestock since the money's gone. I'll give you food in exchange for your livestock. Verse 17. So they brought their livestock to Joseph. They gave him food in exchange for the horses, the sheep, the, the cattle, the donkeys. The, that year, he provided them with food in exchange for all their livestock. 
Verse 18, when that year was over, they came the next year and said, we can't hide from our Lord that the money's gone, all our livestock's gone, there's nothing left but our bodies and our land. In verse 20, it says, in this way, Joseph acquired all the land because every Egyptian sold his field since uh, since the famine was so severe, severe for them and the land became Pharaoh's. Now, you might say, man, this dude's cruel. But when you give people something for nothing, you rob them of the dignity of work and they lose self-esteem and invariably they become lazy. And because of Joseph's hard work, people maintained their dignity and Egypt became strong. I will tell you a third reason that I believe that Joseph was faithful is he maintained his faith in God even in a pagan society. It couldn't have been easy for him to, to believe in God when uh, uh, he, he had gone through all that he had, but he continued to believe. And think how hard it was to believe in the land of Egypt. They worshipped idols, they were immoral people, and now he's rich. He had every opportunity to stray. And it wouldn't surprise you, would it, to read that Joseph, like Solomon, kind of became indulgent in his later years. But the Bible gives us three things that tell us that he didn't do that. Number one, he sought to instill faith in his children. Think about his children for a minute. Here they are raised in a pagan land with very little exposure to the one true God. He had probably heard kids talk about these Hebrew strangers who were coming in and saying, man, Hebrews are weird. They're simple, they're poor, they're naive. And he wants to make sure that he passes on his faith to them. In chapters 48 and 49, he takes his kids to his dad and he says, Dad, would you bless the boys like you blessed me? Dad, would you tell them like you told me that God would be with them? Tell them that how he has, has given them commands for their good. Help them to know the blessings of obedience. There's lots of interesting stuff in this passage, but to suffice it to say he wanted his boys to know the God he had believed in. Another thing we see is that he took care of his brothers even after Jacob was dead. When Jacob died, Joseph is in his mid-50s. And in chapter 50, we see this passage. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering that we caused him. You remember what Joseph had said 17 years prior to that? I forgive you guys. I, I, don't, don't worry about it. Forget about it. But now all of a sudden that their father has died, the brothers are worried that it's just a good show for dad, and now they're going to try to get, now Joseph's going to try to get even. I think they were afraid he was going to be like the elderly lady that was bitten by the rabid dog. She went to the doctor and the doctor said, I I'm sorry, you've got rabies. And immediately she started writing down on the she uh, sheet of paper. And he said, what are you doing, making out a will? And she said, no, I'm making a list of people I want to bite. You know, uh, there are people that we save up our anger for. And we try to find ways to get even. But, and the brothers are worried that Joseph's this way. And they send a messenger and they beg for forgiveness. And if you've got your Bible, you need to see these next verses. Genesis 50 verse 17 says, Say this to Joseph, please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin, the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. What's Joseph do when they say this? He weeps. 
What do you mean? He says, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about this present result, the survival of many people. Verse 21, therefore, don't be afraid. I'll take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly of them. You know, when I read this story, this is where I put me into the story. Because I'm a lot like Joseph's brothers. I hear that God has forgiven me. And, and that, that if I confess my sin, He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And I know the truth that, that He will be merciful to those who uh, do wrong and, and He will never again remember their sins. I know that. But then Satan whispers to my heart. It says, God can't love you. You know, God, God, God really hasn't forgiven you. You're suffering right now because of something you did 20 years ago, or, or, or you're facing the punishment of, 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 of something you did as a child. We doubt that God has forgiven us. Joseph had forgiven his brothers and he never brought it up again, and when they did, he wept. That's evidence of his faith. And God's goodness to him. You know, it's so hard for us to believe that God has forgiven us unconditionally. Because we don't understand grace. We think God relates to us the way we relate to others. You hold up your end, I'll hold up my end. But I want you to understand our relationship with God is based on his forgiveness. And his righteousness. Not on our worthiness or our righteousness. We're not saved because of what we've done or how good we are. We're saved because the one in heaven is good enough and is able to save us. I'm not kept because I'm good. I'm not uh, uh, a pastor because I'm good. I am a pastor by the grace of God. I'm kept in salvation by the grace of God. And I will eternally be saved solely by the grace of God. Religions of the world preach, do this, try hard, work uh, 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 harder, think better. And they all fall short. And so God sent His Son down to us to express an unconditional forgiveness. And He blesses us with His righteousness. And this is true before salvation and it's true after salvation. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 13, it says, even if we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Hallelujah, what a Savior. I, I hope you get this. If you're here and, and you don't get this, you're, gonna, you're, 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 you're not going to uh, uh, glory in the cross. If you're here and you don't get this, you're not going to enjoy the salvation that has been brought to you. Your salvation is a gift from God and He gave it to you with full knowledge of who you are. He understands what a mess up you are. You're not hiding it from Him. He knows who you are when it's just you. He knows the worst moment of your life. He understands completely the depravity of your heart. He knows the weakness of your thoughts. He understands how strong a whole temptation has on your life. He understands all of those things. And He entered into covenant with you not based on your goodness, but based on His. 
And He has saved you, not based on your merit, but based on the merit of the perfect Son of God who gave His life as a sacrifice for you. And so when we talk about Joseph's faithfulness, we're not here saying that we're trying to be faithful so God will still love me. Our faithfulness does not maintain our salvation. Our faithfulness is a natural response of gratitude. I love Him because He loved me. Maybe it's because the screen's not working behind me, but I don't know if you're getting this this morning. I want to be faithful to Him because He has saved me. I'm not earning His favor. It is His gift to me. That's why I'm secure. I'm not secure because I'm a Baptist. I'm not secure because I'm a member of Porter. I'm secure because I trust only in the cross of Jesus Christ. Only in the cross of Jesus Christ. Not in the cross plus me trying really hard. Not in the cross plus me getting baptized. Only in the cross. And when did the cross have effect on your life? After you cleaned up? Or before you cleaned up? God demonstrated His love toward you in this. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. So do not listen to Satan's whispers that say, yeah, that was way back then, but now you've got to earn it. No. That was day one, day 100, day 1,000, day 10,000, and day 10,000 years. We will still be singing of the amazing grace of God. Saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Now all Joseph's life, God had been with him, unconditionally loving him. He was with him in Potiphar's house. He was with him in prison. He was with him in front of Pharaoh. He was with him interpreting uh, dreams. He was with him in the distribution of food. He knew it was God who had made him a success. And he never got so rich or important that he forgot it. And here's how I know that Joseph remained faithful to the one who loved him because he asked to be buried in the promised land. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a true follower of God. I want to be in the, buried in the land that worships you. Genesis 50. Joseph, verse 24. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, and this is the real thing. And he says, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. Joseph says this to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you're to carry my bones up from this land. He made him promise. Now, who does he ask to do this? Who does he ask to do this? His brothers. But guess what? They're still not faithful. The Bible says that Joseph died at the age of 110 and they embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. That's sad, isn't it? Sad because his brothers, who he had done so much for, their families forgot. But God didn't forget. 400 later, 400 years later, God is going to call a people out of Egypt. And when Moses 
takes the people from Egypt to the promised land. He took the bones of Joseph with him. Exodus 13 verse 19 says, Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath saying, God will certainly come to your aid. Then you must take my bones with you from this place. That's the story of Joseph. You know he's only mentioned one time in the entire New Testament. It's kind of ironic. He's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. And what do you think would be the, the, the reason for him being included in the faith chapter? Man, he, he was faithful in prison. He, he was such a success in Potiphar's house. He was beloved of his father, and he loved his father faithfully. That's what you would think, but that's not it at all. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, it says, By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. The greatest demonstration of Joseph's faith came at the end of his life. He longed to be in the presence of God. I wonder, at the end of your life, I guess just for a second, let me ask you, how many people, has anybody here been baptized like before you were like 10? Any of y'all? Any of y'all baptized before you were 10? Okay. So some of y'all have been believers now for five or six years. Okay? Maybe seven years. The rest of y'all for about, well, anyway. Uh My prayer for you is if the Lord gives you 70, if by reason of strength, 80 years, or 110, my prayer for you is at the end of your life, people will say, that was a faithful follower of Christ. They followed Christ faithfully all of their days. How can you be faithful? Let me give you some practical steps. Determine to love the people of God no matter what. Just as Joseph loved his family, we should love the family of God. Teenagers, do you acknowledge your church friends at the football game or at school? Or are you too popular for that? Are they not in your circle? And get over yourself. They're your family. You know, adults... As you become successful, do you think you've outgrown the church fellowship or, or life group parties? I know people who, 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 who just check out because they have a little more stuff. I, I know people who leave churches because there are people who are hard to love, and there are. Trust me. But if you're looking for a church where people will be easy to love, you're never going to find one, and you're never going to be faithful. Yes, there are people with unique personalities. And there are people with different social standards. And there are people who are arrogant and people who are boastful and people who are short-tempered. Love them. They're your family. Number two, work hard until Jesus comes. Don't lay down on the job. If you're going to be faithful, there's no time to lay down. If your goal is, I'm going to serve until I retire and then I'm going to do nothing, that's pitiful. That's a shame. If you retire and go someplace warmer, that's fine, as long as you have a place for me to come visit. And as long as you plug into a church and serve the Lord, fine. 
if the Lord calls you to do that, but serve. And then I would encourage you, instill your faith in your children. If your children don't get it from you, they're not going to get it. How much easier it is for you to remain faithful when your children share your faith. But I want to tell you, don't, don't forget the fact they've got to get it from you first. If you have older children who've strayed, enlist prayer warriors. Pray for them. It's interesting to me, that the last part of this passage of Joseph is interesting to me. His, his bones are buried. And uh, <laughs> that's never been a big deal to me. You know, people that worry about what their funeral arrangements are going to be like. I just don't really care. I don't. I, I was driving one day down the road. And I was listening to this preacher. And this preacher was one of those old-timey, sucking wind preachers. Can't you hear him? I mean, and he was... he. It was on W80, I think it was 88.9, Wonderful Sounds of Faith, out of Madisonville, Kentucky. If any of you from western Kentucky, if you've been flipping through the dial, you'll recognize the voice in a minute. I, I was driving down the road, and he was talking in a normal voice, and I thought, I've never heard that on this station, so it caught my attention. And he said, a lot of you, when you die, are worried about what's going to happen to you. You're worried about if they're going to have a church funeral or a funeral home funeral. You're worried if they're going to sing uh, or, or if they're just going to play music. You're, you're worried about are they going to eat a big meal afterwards or are they, are they just going to grieve somberly. You're worried about if you're... And he said, I tell you what, when I die, and here I'm just driving along, all of a sudden at the top of his lungs he goes, You can take my buddy! <laughs> You've gone off a cliff! You can let the wild dogs come and eat the flesh off my bones because I ain't going to be there! I about wrecked. I, I did! I about wrecked! But you know what? He captured my heart because I don't care what you do with my bones. The Lord can worry about that. Because when I die, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord because my citizenship is not in this life, my or not in this place. My citizenship is in heaven. And to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And therefore, uh, I, I, I'm not going to worry about what happens to me. Instead, I'm going to remember my real home. You want to be faithful till you die? Amen. You want to be faithful till you die? Remember your real home. I'm just a stranger here. This world is not my home. I am bound for glory. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the truth of it. God, I pray that you would bless your word. Lord, I thank you for the gospel. That says that even though we are faithless, you are faithful. And oh God, I want to live my life pleasing to you. Help me, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit that you've given. To be faithful to you, God. Not for my glory, but for yours. To prove that the one who has saved me is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. God, I pray, Lord, that you would... 
use this time to draw people closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.